This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail, Media and Marketplaces Strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by a special guest, also a client of Acadia, Katie Bushek, who is the Senior National Account Manager with Totes Isotoner, the world's leading designer, marketer and distributor of functional accessories in the rain, cold weather and footwear categories. She leads the e-commerce business, including sales and marketing for Amazon, D2C and retailer websites. Having spent her 20 plus year career in the fashion footwear and accessories space, For the last six years, she's been immersed in e-commerce. She loves developing new businesses and testing and learning new sales and marketing techniques. In her spare time, she enjoys spending time with her husband and five-year-old daughter at their home in New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Katie. Hi, Kiri. Thank you for having me. So I'm excited to dig into this topic with you. It's a big, big shared passion, I guess, talking about retail media. So maybe just within that bio, could you tell me like when you were first exposed to retail media and what did that look like? (laughs) It was interesting. So when I was first exposed to retail media was about six years ago when I first started working in the e-com space and it was just a total mind shift. Didn't understand anything about it. Didn't understand, no idea what ROAS meant or even what ads meant online. So It feels like a long, long time ago, but it was only about six years. And now it's obviously changed so much. And there are so many retail media networks out there. And it's been a fascinating journey to see how far it's come. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got an interesting story at Totes because you're from a sales background and now you manage retail media and have switched over to e-commerce recently. What's one or two things that your company has done really well around retail media? So I think a few things that we've done well, we start small with retail media networks. We're definitely going in with the mindset that we need to scale as we're learning. We've gotten really, really good at looking at the data and understanding the data and what does this mean and what do we do with that? We've also gotten very good working cross-functionally with our finance team, with our category team, with the appropriate salespeople. We're all about driving incremental profitable sales. Don't get me wrong. We've definitely gone down the path of spending money in certain places and then realizing it wasn't profitable. And that's so painful for anybody who's done that. But we've really learned to be very calculated about what we're doing when it comes to our full strategy and investing in retail media networks. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the learnings that you've had with driving incremental profitable sales. Do you have any tips for people listening out there who are struggling with that? Learnings that we've had. I think it's just so important to be very aware of your P&L, to get really close to your P&L with your finance team, if that's who owns it, or if the sales org owns it, understanding what levers do we have to pull to make sure that we are profitable. We obviously want to be spending on marketing and want to be spending on these retail media networks in order to drive traffic and drive conversion, et cetera. But if at the end of the day, we're not achieving incremental sales, then you know it wasn't worth it to begin with. 
So getting really close to that P&L, understanding, do we have the right mix of assortment? Are there things that need to be changed there? And what is kind of eating away at, at that margin? And what kind of, just sticking into this, bear with me if you're not ready to answer this kind of in-depth questions, no problem. But what kind of metrics do you look at to track incremental sales? Metrics to track incremental sales. So Kiri, I would definitely say these would be, I'm just going to say the same metrics that we talked about before. Okay. Okay. So metrics that we would look at really all the time would be what spend is, obviously, what the sales would be attributed to that spend, what total sales would be, what ad attributed and non-ad attributed sales. And then of course, really looking at impressions, clicks, click-through rates, the cost per click, and all of this data over time. So making sure that you're tracking it over time by month this year versus last year. And if you've got seasonality in your business, what those spikes have looked like. It's also important to understand the spend as a percent of your sales and then making sure that all lines up to what's expected. Right. What's one thing that you believe about retail media that other people might not? I mean, at the same time, I know I just talked about incremental sales, but you also need to factor in when it comes to media networks, you know, it's not all about ROAS that certain times you're looking to drive awareness. You might also be looking to make a defensive play. You know, there are many other KPIs to factor in. Frequently, it's important to think about spending in terms of good cholesterol. We'd much rather be spending money to drive awareness of our brands and eyeballs to our pages than other ways that don't help grow our brands overall in the market. I love the spending in good cholesterol. That is such a good analogy. That's <laughs> brilliant. I, I wish I could take credit for it, but one of our leadership says that good cholesterol versus bad cholesterol, and it's a great expression. I love it. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, we could bang on for a whole episode about ROAS, and I continue to have these conversations with brands who want to grow. They want to grow category share. They want to, you know, they've got a growth imperative, but they're still so focused on ROAS and improving ROAS. You really need to think about which master are you serving. And not to say that, you know, growth, you could grow at all costs in most situations, but yeah, very wise there in terms of what metrics really should be the priority versus secondary metrics. Thank you. So, Going back to org structure and I guess incentives come in here as well in the KPIs that different teams have and how they work together. How do you suggest brands think about org structure and incentives within especially a larger organization like yours where you have defined sales teams with sales ownership and you have a dedicated e-com team like yours? So our teams, I think one thing that's worked really, really well for us at Toad's Isotoner is that we've just been super communicative. So all the right players are aware of the budgets, the goals, the KPIs, again, driving profitable sales, making sure that we're moving the right buckets of inventory, telling the message of the brand. So sustainability, of course, is a really big message right now, you know, various other messages according to our specific brands. We've also recently restructured to have a three pillar strategy, we call it, which the three pillars would be the Amazon business, our own dot-coms, and what we call bricks and clicks, which would be the retailer.com websites. So this strategy has really allowed us to look at all of e-commerce and how the decisions that we make in one may impact the other, which we've never done before. And I'm so excited that we've made this change recently and to see how it's going to impact us in the next several years. 
Yes, definitely. And I'm certainly hearing of more brands moving towards that model of having the sales org just working very closely with a dedicated e-com org that is, you know, has that digital background, really savvy with what's required to win online on the digital shelf. But then also the sales component is so important. What has been, what does that relationship with that retailer look like? What are their priorities? What's being committed to there from a trade budget and working to get, seeing trade and shopper marketing and e-commerce working together so much more closely as well. That's an area I think is still a little, is still really emerging is how the in-store activations and online actually work together as well. That's probably one of those next big waves that we'll see in the future, hopefully. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we talk so much internally about the customer might see a product in the store at brick and mortar, but we've got really amazing innovation in our products. And it's hard to understand what that is. So she might pick up the product and see the innovation there. Then she might be going on our D2C, going on Amazon, going on the retailer's website to find out more about it and vice versa. So they might see it online, but not really understand the innovation. And then they happen to be in a store and see the product and, oh, wow, that's that's what that meant. So it's so critical that all of those foundational pieces are there to fully explain the product the way you need to on the PDP, but then also on the hang tags on the product in brick and mortar. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if you saw it. I shared a post on LinkedIn recently where I noticed the top three Google, the featured snippets, you know, when you have a, there's a common search query on Google and it will pull snippets from a website with some good authority. And all of the reviews for a particular brand, it was like a nail enamel brand. They were all coming from Amazon product reviews. And I was just thinking if I was in an Ulta or a Sephora looking at this brand and wondering, you know, what is this like? Is this a good brand? Then all of that content that I'm finding while I'm showrooming essentially is coming from Amazon, just like the murkiness of all of these channels. I think that especially for a sales leader, they're really, we're at the point where sales leadership is really wrapping their head around online and offline being supporting each other. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. It is. And it's hard to tell, right? It's hard to tell some of these different pieces and how they truly support each other and really give data on that. But we know it happens. And so you've got to be consistent because the consumers are smart. You can see it in the ratings and reviews. If you say something and the product doesn't hold up to that, they're not going to just you know let you go. They're going to be vocal about it. So it's critical that you're constantly scrubbing the information and exactly what you're telling the shopper is it machine washable? Okay, great. Do we say that on the PDP? Do we say that on the hang tag? Do we say that on the tag inside the product? Are we telling the same message in all the different places? Because shoppers, they will notice that and they will call you out. Yep, absolutely. We talked a little bit about metrics that you track. I'm wondering maybe a little bit of a different spin on this. Is there, Maybe could we dive into to one of those metrics that you track and like how you sort of came to identify that as a key one? to look at for retail media? Sure. I think probably two there that I've been looking at much more closely in the last maybe six months or so would be both impressions and clicks and looking at them for two of our brands by month over time and comparing the two brands to one another, two similar brands. So, but different shopper and different price point for the two brands. And it's so fascinating to look at that and to understand what the spikes are, where the declines are, and what are we doing to impact that? 
We obviously want to drive a better click-through rate, but we want to be also driving more and more impressions to drive awareness. At the same time, we want to make sure that the impressions that we're driving are people who are the right shopper for this particular product, this particular brand, and we're not just throwing impressions out there to any person who happens to be on the site. So really digging into that and understanding what the levers are to get there is really interesting to me. That's a great point. You don't want to be looking at impressions in isolation because that could be totally irrelevant and totally irrelevant audience. And balancing it with clicks is is a really good filter on that. Yeah. And just looking at it over time as well. Again, that's been super educational for me. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking a little bit before the show about off-channel activations. So obviously when you're running retail media, you can see which campaigns led to impressions and clicks. And then there is, particularly as an omni-channel brand like Totes, you've got a lot of external factors weighing in there. You could be running a PR campaign. You could be running a TikTok influencer campaign. You could be, you know, have something going on with a a big activation with a retailer. So is there any, I don't know, do you have any words of wisdom around tracking external, I guess, non-advertising drivers of impressions so that you can sort of isolate the noise a little bit? Because that can be a little bit tricky, especially as a vendor. I really have no idea how to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) One of those those tough questions. Yeah. It's a great question. <laughs> yeah. I have an answer for you on that. It's something I'm curious about. We certainly have a lot of brands, particularly in the beauty categories, just going crazy on TikTok. And TikTok has been extremely effective. So the best that I've seen a lot of brands do is really just a before and after view of that. And then also we're speaking a little bit before about looking at branded search volume as well. That can also help isolate some of that noise as well. I love that idea though of looking at before and after because that's a great way. You know, sometimes it's hard to get a good sense of what type of lift you're getting. Maybe you're not seeing it in the unit sales and that can be disappointing if that's all that you're looking at. But if you're looking at the lift of branded search terms just to get at least a benchmark of what people were looking for before and how that might be impacted after, that's another great way to look at it. Yeah, the challenge is always like we see a huge spike in impressions or search volume and we have no idea where it came from because there's no <laughs> there's no known campaign running. It could just be, yeah, that is the challenge of Amazon if we don't have the attributed links coming in. Right. Right. So what are your top three predictions for retail media? Top three predictions for retail media, I think they're absolutely, I mean, one that is just sort of obvious, I guess you could say, is that they're always going to keep evolving, right? I mean, we've seen some recent headlines come from Walmart about different things that they've just announced, whether they're influencer program and a couple different things that they're doing. So we know they're going to keep evolving and we know that we need to be there. We need to be there in some capacity, even if it's on some of the smaller ones, I think just starting small and getting some traction is always important. And where would you, that's a really great point because I saw last week 7-Eleven rolled out a retail media network. And so like, how do you think about where is the floor on that? Because it's nice to be everywhere if you're Coca-Cola, you know, like maybe you have the capacity to do that. But where do you set the minimum there? 
I mean, you got to be smart about your choices, right? And you got to look at exactly what the landscape is right now and what we have to be supporting. So we can't support 7-Eleven right now, although I think it's brilliant and I think it's interesting. So, but certainly the critical ones, it's important that we be there and that we begin to at least be testing and learning. And whether that's just investing a small amount in some of the smaller ones right now to learn and evaluate and see what type of impact we're getting, that's the ideal way to do it. Sorry, I stopped you at prediction number one because I got too excited. Oh, no, that's okay. okay. I think that's my big prediction. They're always just going to keep evolving, yeah. Right. And this might be related or it might be something different. What's one thing that you're excited about? I am super excited about the Amazon Marketing Cloud and getting all of that data understanding where the consumer journey is. We've been working with Bobsled and analyzing that data. And I'm like, I'm just so excited when I look at it. I feel like such a nerd. How does the shopper engage with us? When does she disengage with us? What's turning her off? Ad units and how they compare to one another. And then kind of in addition to that or side by side with that is thinking about lift and incrementality. So what are we doing on our D2Cs that's impacting a shopper who's looking at us on Amazon and vice versa? We've never had any understanding to what the journey is. So even just beginning to look at some of that data has been really fascinating. Amen. I'm so excited about Amazon Marketing Cloud. It is really unlocking Amazon's walled garden of data. The incrementality piece with D2C, that's a really great use case. I'm looking forward to this moving beyond Amazon as well. I mean, Amazon is going to account for the majority of marketplace sales for most brands and is the biggest not to crack. But I think that Walmart has rolled out a free free set uh, data set with their Luminate platform, whereas it was previously a little bit expensive for a lot of brands to access. But we're starting to see this like currency of data from the retailers if a retailer is trying to attract more brands to their media networks and they're scrapping over these dollars, like giving brands back a little bit of data is one really important piece of currency that brands are going to be willing to spend a little bit more on if they're able to actually get an insight into who the shopper is and how ads are helping to move that shopper down the funnel. So I think AMC, totally there with you. And I'm really hoping that it's a catalyst for other retailers to to open up a little bit more data as well. Absolutely. And then thinking about it from a Walmart perspective, even understanding they saw ads online, they saw ads on their phone, et cetera. And then what does that do to impact them in store? I mean, that's a whole other layer that's kind of like mind-blowing. What are they seeing in store that's impacting them online? We've never had any data like that before to understand. And- looking at some of the data that we have with AMC, it's been a small amount of time that we've even seen this data, but it's already helping us make decisions. Yes, we're going to keep running this. We're going to keep funding this. This is the importance of this ad and why it should be tweaked and so forth. So it's pretty fascinating. I love it. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kiri. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, great.